Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. Here's your host, Bill Kelly. And welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Kelly. Good to have you with us today on an ever-changing world and global scene. And I want to focus on what's happening uh, in the Middle East and, and the consequences of that, or the, 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 I was going to say of the actions, but in some cases it's the inaction of some of this, uh, the major movers and shakers here on the global uh, political scene. To do that, we're so pleased to welcome back to our podcast, Elliot Tepper who is, of course, an emeritus professor of political science at Carleton University and also a distinguished senior fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs, among many other accolades. Elliot, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time today on the on the podcast. Oh, thanks. Good to be with you, Bill, despite the nature of what we talk about. Well, and that's one of the reasons why, is what's happening over there. When you and I talked late last year, which was just a few weeks ago, of course, uh, we, we kind of hypothesized a little bit about 2024 and what may or may not happen. And I guess the overarching question a lot of people were asking even two weeks ago uh, was, is there going to be an end to this this conflict, this war, the, the Israel-Hamas war? Uh, is it going to enrage others, and is it going to expand, and is it going to bring other people sucking them into it? Uh, I, I see a little bit of the latter more than the former. What's your read on what's happened over the last few weeks? Well, the, the misery continues, essentially. Uh, we, are not, we are at 101 days uh, since the hostages were taken out after the mass murders and atrocities committed in Israel, Israel is responding. Uh, we see the result. The playbook, which Hamas has always followed successfully, is also being followed regretfully now. Make an attack, uh, expect a response, hunker down, survive that response. The world leans on Israel to stop, and you do it all again. And 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 they just said this, quote, and we'll do it again and we'll do it again, and we'll do it again. And Anthony Blinken, uh, early on in this, said, we know what you're up to. We're not going to go along with it this time. But it's it's just such tragic scenes coming out now of uh, Gaza that, yes, it is working. Uh, there's increasing pressure on Israel to stop. But there's a key difference, which I think you and I have discussed, between a humanitarian pause and a ceasefire. Uh, the pressure is building more and more to do a ceasefire, a ceasefire means leave Hamas in place <laughs> to do it all again at some point. A humanitarian pause is we all agree we have to stop this for a little while. Uh, maybe we can get a hostage exchange for prisoners at that time. And uh, then, you know, unfortunately, things will resume. But right now what's happening is more and more people are being affected in Gaza itself. Israel is absolutely determined to do its uh, original goals, which it announced on day one. Um, we are we're, we're declaring war. This attack on us is war. So uh, we will absolutely allow aid to go in. We will stop uh, any activity once all of our prisoners, all of our hostages are returned. And Hamas is never again allowed to have operational control of Gaza, military control or governance. That's off the plate. That offer has never been taken up and Israel's responded accordingly, in, in, in the way that we are witnessing. And there's a lot more detail I can update you on. But even on that, and let's just go down that road, as hypothetical as it may be, and probably very much uh, a, a, a long shot at best. Uh, Hamas is not going to give up control of, of what they have in Gaza right now. Uh, they come back, and they're retorting part anyway, is we're a duly elected government. You know, back off. Uh, you know, the Palestinians put us here. 
and, and we can argue just exactly how that happened and, <laughs> and where the Pal- Palestinian Authority is on all this. But even if they were to have this immediate revelation or epiphany uh, today and say, you know what, you're right, we're, we're leaving, we're going to back off. Uh, who takes over? Where there's a void, there's always a concern about who's going to fill that void. And and I know that s- some people are suggesting the Palestinian Authority has to do that. They're not capable, nor are they ready, nor do they want to. Right. Well, this is called the day after issue. And that's been a focus of a lot of attention and a lot of disagreements, apparently, between uh, the U.S., Israel's key backer in all this. We are also, by the way, as uh, UK and other democracies are, but the... Um, the key question is, okay, suppose you do what you want. In Israel, I've just been following this, you know, as of today, Israel's saying, mm-hmm. we don't need to kill every single Hamas uh, supporter. We need the leaders gone. And gone can be, and this is something to keep an eye on. Uh, exile might is, is now being talked about. Uh, you agree to leave. We get our hostages back. Maybe we'll release some prisoners. So this is the conversation going on right now. But what, what to, to go back to your question, the... Uh, possibility that Hamas will remain governing as the governing authority and a military threat to Israel. This war, to go back to your first question, when will it end? It isn't going to end as long as that set of conditions stays in place. And with that in mind, of course, we have what some people are considering the the expansion of this conflict. You mentioned we're past 100 days here. Uh, The Israeli hostages are still there someplace. Uh, There are renewed missile attacks on on Israel now, Uh, uh, missiles going off in Tel Aviv. But I think more the immediate concern right now, well, there are two areas. Uh, One, of course, are the, the, the attacks on shipping vessels that we'll get to in a few minutes here. Uh, the other is seemingly an expansion of what's going on with Hezbollah and, and the northern portion of Israel right yeah. now, while opening up a second front, as it were. Well, let's work our way through this. Starting in yeah. Gaza itself, Israel today reiterated uh, that, yes, they're now ready to do a lower intensity as opposed to the high intensity conflict. That will reduce the uh, the kind of terrible carnage we see in Gaza, the terrible price that's being paid by turning Gaza into you know human shields and human involuntary human sacrifices to the Hamas cause. So the, Israel is saying, okay, in the north, we pretty well have that under control. In the south, we've got some more goals to reach. We're willing to take some of our troops out. They need R&R. And keep in mind, Israel's army is largely a, a reserve army. <laughs> it's a mm-hmm. tiny country. You know, it's 10 million people all in all, GTA plus a few. <laughs> and yeah. uh, they pull all these uh, reserves off their off their jobs. These are the people who make the economy run. They're all now geared up there. So inside Gaza, unfortunately, I think it's likely to be continuing as we see it now. But lower intensity should mean lower casualties. Joe Biden wants this off the front page, and he's pressing Israel hard. So uh, moving out from there, the day after question, which you raised, uh, there's real sharp difference of opinion right now. It looks as if it looks as if uh, both Israel and Egypt, and we have to remember that Egypt is a key player here. They control the, um, the various uh, access routes, but they also don't want any more Palestinians on their side of the border. And they say, oh, it's, it's for the Palestinians' own good, but they just don't want them there. So they, they're saying, okay, uh, it looks like right now they're saying what we want is we want the people of Gaza to govern themselves, but it can't be Hamas. So we'll find technocrats. We will help them. We'll help rebuild the place. And it looks like Egypt and Israel are converging on that, whereas the U.S. is still saying uh, something you said, you scoffed at, we'll bring in the PA. 
And, uh, <laughs> but the PA is very difficult conversations, as they say, between Blinken and, the, and uh, Mahmoud Abbas. It has to be rejuvenated and reinvigorated. <laughs> Redefined, really, isn't it? I mean, let's face it, they had the ball at one point and they blew oh, yeah. it. They were terrible. They, they were voted out of office, uh, such as it were in that election. Well, yeah. I mean, to, you've heard, and Ellie, you and I talked about that back when, you know, yeah, we, in terms like corruption and ineptitude and things like that. And, well, and that's still a, a, a tag that still hangs on them. And Hamas really committed a, a coup against them, successfully yeah. expelled them militarily from Gaza and imposed themselves over the people of Gaza after having won an election. But that they've never gone since. And I think Mahmoud Abbas is in his, I have to check, 18th year of his four-year term. So a lot of rejuvenation needed there. But moving on out uh, of this equation, yes, what about the North? What about Hezbollah? And what we know right now is that uh, Hamas fully expected Hezbollah to really intervene on, their, on October 7th. They wanted Hezbollah to really come in and attack Israel at the same time. <laughs> Hezbollah said, no, we're not going to do that. We love you. We support you. Uh, we think you're great, uh, but um, we're not going to do that. And Hezbollah has been signaling for quite some time now that they really are not keen on a war. And people take them at face value at that. I'm a little concerned because they just accept the status quo. The status quo is about 80,000 Israelis can't go home in the north. They've been moved out because Every day, Hezbollah is actually firing rockets and firing missiles and attacking civilian targets. But everybody says it's, it's constrained. So uh, if that was happening. Isn't that a relative term, though? Yes. You know, it's constrained. Uh, well, that's it's not much of a, a comfort to you if you're the ones who's, who are being targeted by this. Well, that and and your point's point. well taken. I think you and I talked about this, well, 106 days ago uh, when that <laughs> initial god-awful attack occurred. Uh, that 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 was only the latest attack. I mean, these things have been going on for years. They've been going on, I guess you could argue, since 1948. But uh, this is the world in which they live, and and it's the acceleration of of these of these activities. I think it's got everybody scared. And and who is going to react? And how is this going to expand if it's going to expand? Well, and, and right now there certainly are voices in Israel who have said we were caught unawares, we paid a terrible price, we are now fully mobilized, we've got everything we need. We're going to have to deal with Hezbollah sooner or later. Every day that goes by, Hezbollah gets more and more stuff from Iran. They get stronger and stronger. Why don't we do it now? But other voices, including from the U.S., have weighed in and said, you really don't want another war, a two-front war, uh, and, and stuff coming at you also from the Golan Heights and so forth from inside Syria. So, so far, uh, that has, that's the status right now. Uh, sooner or later, there's a reckoning there. Israel has said, there's two ways of handling. It's not just Israel. Diplomats and analysts around the world say there's two ways of handling the Hezbollah situation, uh, diplomatically or kinetically. Uh, so some arrangement, because what we see going on today in Gaza has already happened before. Mm -hmm. Hezbollah attacks Israel. Hezbollah is bringing death and destruction prospectively on the poor state of Lebanon, which is essentially a collapsed state. They haven't had a president. Uh, Hezbollah operates uh, with impunity, a state within a state, inside Lebanon. And then let's continue moving on out from where we were. Hezbollah so far is restrained <laughs> in that sense. But then we do move on to Yemen, because suddenly Yemen has come sharply into our news, hasn't it? 
So it has. Uh, Let's talk about that. And this, sure. this is, I guess, this is a response, really, isn't it, Elliot, to to a, a move by the United States and the UK uh, to try to control the, the the waters around there. Uh, and all of a sudden, now we've got. Well, I guess we can technically call these uh, civilian uh, shipments that are going back and forth that are being attacked by missiles. And there's a retaliation. Uh, is, is this really just the, the next step in the acceleration that's going on or are others being sucked into this? And I guess the overarching question I wanted you to address as well, is there an overarching uh, entity slash on slash uh, Iran who is controlling this whole thing? Absolutely. And shots? Absolutely. Because as we're moving forward, what we're finding more and more, we're going to end up with, with Iran as being the focus. And I think in the year ahead and then indeed maybe the months ahead, Iran is going to come much more into focus. You can frame, reframe everything we're talking about is essentially an Iranian operation. They, despite having being the leaders of the Shia and Hamas as Sunni, they were quite willing to arm, train, plan, provide intelligence and support for Hamas. This operation we see in front of us uh, it certainly has Iranian fingerprints all over it. Apparently Hezbollah was being trained to do the same things, but Hamas moved first. Uh, and it's, there's a lot of, a lot of, conversation on the side that, well, Iran's quite willing to let Hamas uh, go. They'll sacrifice Hamas because after all, when the push comes to shove, they're Sunni. <laughs> they're not Shia, mm-hmm. uh, but they'll never give it. They'll never uh, do that for Hezbollah. They really need Hezbollah and they want Hezbollah because it's part of the Shia crescent, part of the expansion of Iranian influence. They want to be the hegemon of the region and they want the U.S. out and they want uh, Saudi Arabia under control. I've just summarized for you what I think the Iranian situation is. So right now, what's happened is, since this has begun, Iran has been ratcheting up the role of their proxies. Uh, Hamas, yes, Hezbollah, yes, but in Syria and Iraq, uh, they've been more and more attacked by their, by their proxies, supplied, armed, trained against uh, Western forces that are there. And now the Yemenis coming to that, now, the Yemenis, the Houthis within Yemen, I should say, uh, clearly supplied, trained, armed, uh, guided by Iran. There's a lot of talk. Well, they didn't really create them the way they created Hezbollah. But the fact is that uh, the Houthis could do nothing of any major military activity without Iran's uh, backing. So this is Iran. So it's too, I'll talk a bit about the Houthis and what they're doing. The Houthis uh, early on said, you know, we are going to support we hate Israel just like everybody else, and we're going to support, but we're going to fire rockets at them. Well, the UK and the US have forces there, and they have uh, they've keep shooting down these drones and rockets. And, but then uh, uh, this escalated. The Houthis started to attack more and more ships, including American ships and cargo ships. So something formal, formal, was put in place. It's called, and this is a two-part answer coming about the Houthis, the formal... Uh, grouping, which Canada is part of, is called um, Operation Prosperity, uh, Operation Guardian Control. What the prosperity uh, control. So this is all about prosperity. That is, the U.S. and its allies, including us, have said, we cannot allow commercial, economically significant operations to be disrupted by this, this this Shia bunch in Yemen, uh, because everything coming through the Suez Canal has to come down through the Red Sea. And Yemen controls, the Houthis control a very narrow waterway 
the Banjo Bob, but it's, you know, the Strait of Tears is under their control and they've been choking off commerce. So Bill, if you wanted to go and get your Tesla, you're going to have to wait because Tesla said, we can't get our stuff from Germany down through the Suez Canal and out. And then Operation Prosperity uh, Guardian uh, is saying, we have to protect the global economy and we can't have it shut down like this. But the other side of that, not clearly as articulated, but really um, a global recession is that it would be bad news for everybody. But also the fact is that Iran has now had Yemen, the Houthis, not Yemen, the Houthis who control about two thirds of Yemen, they have now entered the war with all these attacks. And what we're seeing in front of us is finally the US and its allies, including us, has gone from defense saying, please don't do that. We're telling you not to do that. Uh, you're not, don't do that. You'll pay a cost if you do that into offense. So this is really the escalation is from a defensive posture. We don't want this war to widen into more of a offensive posture saying, well, we have to do it, but we are making clear this, uh, and this is important. Uh, Bill, the U S and its allies, including us are saying we are not, what we are trying to do is degrade Houthi capacity and to deter them. We're not here to destroy them. So the U.S. and its allies are saying, we're not here really to enter the Yemen uh, civil war decisively. Uh, Saudi Arabia and the UAE tried that. It went badly for them with uh, Saudi help. Uh, Saudi basically used the Houthis in Yemen to, to uh, batter Iran, brought Iran to the negotiating table and some kind of a truce was uh, fragile truce. And I want to add one more thing about Iran, because that's so far the big picture of the U.S., the West can't afford to have the Houthis destroy global economies. And it's really a way for Iran to enter, yet open up another front in the war. But the people of Yemen were already in desperate situation. For some reason, even though they're just near where all that oil money is, they don't have that. So Yemen for nine years has been at war, and it's a, a terrible uh, uh, humanitarian disaster, there are illness, and diseases, uh, and uh, the form of governance that the Houthis are providing is not helping that. And, and, and you've talked about this in past shows with us, past podcasts, uh, you know, just to circle back for a second to, to what's going on in Gaza. And they talk about the deplorable conditions uh, and, and the fact that aid is not getting through. Nobody seems to want to pay much attention to the role that Hamas has in, in that uh, enterprise where a lot of that stuff is, is never really getting to the people. And the same thing is happening in Yemen. But I wanted to ask, I guess, uh, from a strategic standpoint, and on day one of this conflict, when Israel started to, to move in militarily, uh, into Gaza. Uh, President Biden said, you know, there are going to be ships over there. We're sending ships over to that area, not to participate, but just to deter any other activity. So, right. I, and again, we've talked about the strategic uh, planning that, that goes on in Iran for a number of these hours. But, and as you say, they seem to have their fingerprints all over this. Were the, were the Houthi attacks on, on shipping a strategic element to try to increase or to draw in uh, UK and, 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 and the United States into this, in other words, to, you know, their response could be viewed as all of a sudden be participants in this, which would justify an escalation on the other half by right. either Hamas or others like this. I mean, there seems to be a master plan, uh, at play here. And if there is in fact one, and there seems there are indications that is, are the UK and the U S falling into that trap? 
Well, that's interesting. You've raised something here that uh, some of the very best scholarship and, and uh, strategic thinking uh, people I follow have been arguing against each other precisely on this point, saying Bruce Fidel, who was a, an advisor to several U.S. presidents, who used to be a CIA great analyst, has said what the Yemenis, uh, the Houthis within Yemen are doing here is they are trying to elevate themselves up so that they are undoubtedly predominant and preeminent within the arc of resistance. And they are trying to be much bigger players and they're willing to pay a cost and they're willing to draw in for their own sake, just to puff themselves up, so to speak, geopolitically, and maybe around behind them likes that. The other side of the argument by good analysts are saying, no, um, the, the Houthis are just being Houthis and Iran is doing its thing. Uh, so, so far, the, the name of the game is Iran is stimulating its proxies everywhere and paying zero cost. So in the year, and that's, that's the nature of the argument that you uh, were just asking about. In the year ahead, I think we have to watch for and the things we're talking about, uh, several different things. First, in terms of Gaza, how will it end? Right now, the term of art to keep an eye on is exile. Well, uh, Israel will have to make a deal. What they really want is Hamas gone. The leaders don't really want them to get themselves killed. Israel's already killed about a third of, of uh, Hamas operatives. But these are mainly the ones above the ground. The people who pull the strings are really either in the tunnels, and that's the one Israel's trying to hunt down. And of course, the real political leaders are sitting over in luxuries, hotels in Qatar, or they're off in Turkey, where they're very welcome indeed, uh, and they're paying no cost. So the, how, do you, how do you put that package together so that uh, Israel said, we're not going to stop? And Hamas says, we want to hold power, but if we can't, we'll, you know, maybe some package of exile and release of prisoners and hostages. Uh, so that's being discussed right now. Meanwhile, the hostages are can you, 101 days in Hamas captivity. But um, the second thing to keep an eye on as we enter the year ahead is, is indeed, will Iran finally come really into focus, Bill? As, and, and I've told my class this, watch for this kind of term in, in the air head of the snake, head of the octopus. Uh, when is Iran going to start to be seen as what's happened behind what a, what a lot that's happening? And how long are they going to be allowed to get away with this and pay no cost? Maybe sometime or another, <clears throat> somebody has to hit the head of the snake. And I, I would add one more thing to that, Bill. In the year ahead, watch for Iran to come into focus and the possibility they would become a nuclear weapon state, and they're well on their way to that, and that would be transformative. On that point, a couple of things, and, and, and I had one of my compatriots talk about this a couple of days ago, and I, I just wanted to throw this under the table for you sure. as well. Uh, looking at what Israel is trying to do, and I think there's a great debate to be had here about their not necessarily what their, what their goal is, but how they're attaining this, and the loss of life, and, and the fact that almost a third of Gaza now is is dust uh, is is frightening in and of itself. Yes, but is. how do you fight an enemy who basically says we don't care what you do, we don't care how much damage you cause, we don't care how many people you kill, because they mean nothing to us either. 
And, 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 and Hamas is like that. Hezbollah is like that. Uh, the Houthis are like that. They don't care. Fire all the missiles you want. You know, I'm over in Qatar right now. I'm watching this on TV. I don't care. You're not going to kill me. How do you, how do you do that? And el the other element to this, and you just talked about what might happen into the, into the further into the year in 2024 about the possibility of exile, et cetera, et cetera, uh, or hostage exchanges. Uh, I go back to 1979, I guess it was, uh, and there's Iran again. Uh, mm -hmm. where you know, there were the, the hostages that were being held there. Uh, they waited until Jimmy Carter was out of office, and it was basically a slap in the face to the Carter administration. The very day that Reagan was sworn in, the hostages were released, and which was really a political statement as much as anything else. Uh, I, I, and Iran's still calling the shots. It's a different Hayatollah, but, I mean, it's the same mindset here. Are they going to drag this thing out until after the U.S. election to see how that turns out? Yes, well, that's the Canadian caper. We should remind ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Canada had a role yeah. in that. And what you saw in the movie, they Argo, oh, Argo apologized yeah. for later. It, you know, and it, they, literally the stars came out and said, well, we didn't acknowledge Canada's role. So on, uh, just a quick comment on that. There's a lot between Canada and Iran on the agenda. Uh, we just passed the anniversary of the downing of the Ukrainian airline and yeah. the killing of so many people connected to Canada. I was went to one or two of the memorials here. Uh, there's a Zara Cosme is that let me package this and then go to that question. Sure. Uh, when I see all these protests around the world, what I'm looking for is this, and I'm not seeing it is I'm looking for the signs that say we actually do care about the people of Gaza, but we also care about the people of Lebanon and Iran so I'm waiting for the slogans on signs and marchers to say, and, and, and it's by people who say they love the people of the region, but I think they love the cause. <laughs> Hamas out of Gaza, Hezbollah out of Lebanon, the Ayatollahs out of Iran, because right now the people, the people of that uh, region are under the control basically of terrorist organizations. And until you deal with that and come to bring that into focus, uh, so the, the question of um, the U.S. and Iran, yes, there's a, some unsettled scores there. Um, Iran plays that situation very, very well. They play their role very, very well. The Ayatollahs, after all, did enter into a nuclear agreement. Uh, no, absolutely, they were cheating on it. And they also it had built-in limitations. We could go into that. Um, Iran is within as they say in the region, a few turns of the screw <laughs> to uh, having violated all their agreements and become a nuclear weapon state. And that's, that's just, uh, that's just a, as I say, a transformative situation in that volatile region. On that point, I, I know we're kind of short on time here, but I, I wanted to, to sure. lay this out here too, because I think we've touched on this uh, and that's the role of Iran and the acknowledgement of the role of Iran uh, I mean, if I can draw a Wizard of Oz uh, metaphor into this, Iran is the guy behind the curtain. Uh, they're <laughs> pulling the levers about all this stuff. Uh, yet nobody seems to want to admit that. And, say, mm -hmm. and Anthony Blinken can make as many trips as he wants to over to there, but it's not going to get solved until Iran is actually at the table and says, okay, all right, we admit it. We're pulling all this thing together. Let's you and I talk about what's going to happen to this. I mean, can these other, can, can Hezbollah, can anybody else even do the negotiating when, when really they're getting their orders from Iran? 
Right. I fully support that, except uh, I would think maybe the evil witch of the North rather than that lovable guy behind the screen. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that all goes to intent, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Uh, everything that Mr. Blinken has done in his multiple trips there sends a single message to Iran as as one possible way of viewing this entire situation and answering your question. And that is, we don't want to go to war with Iran. We don't want to directly confront Iran. We will put our military forces, two aircraft carrier strike groups. That has nothing to do with Gaza. That's settling down, telling mm -hmm. Iran and, and Hezbollah, you know, don't, don't rock the boat. Well, what do you think, assuming that is the situation, what do the Ayatollahs do when they hear the message, we really don't want to mess with you? Well, uh, they'll just, I think, accelerate. It emboldens them, doesn't it? It does. It, it emboldens them and empowers them. Uh, that's not the intention of the U.S. The U.S. does not want to be drawn into another major war in the Middle East. But sooner or later, the Iranian question has to be faced. And as we uh, watch all this unfold and speculate about what may or may not happen, uh, uh, meanwhile, as, as they say, uh, <laughs> back in Moscow, Putin is just rubbing his hands and said, they're not even paying attention to what I'm doing over That's in, right. in, in Ukraine right now. And they don't give a shit about what I'm going to be doing. Uh, my, my, my domino theory that's going to be going on there because their attention is someplace else right now. And that's, that's not a good circumstance. No, Mr. Putin has all along... Uh, had a single position. I'm going to use the nuclear threat to shape the behavior of those who might otherwise come to Ukraine's defense. And it has shaped the behavior. Um, right from day one, President Biden has said, we will not have NATO go to direct confrontation with Mr. Putin. And Mr. Putin said, okay. And that's the, that's, but as you know, over time, more and more and more actual, um, effective equipment has been provided to Ukraine. And Ukraine's slogan is, we are fighting this war for you. And I just, uh, I don't know how much time we have, but uh, you might notice that uh, the UK has played a very interesting role here. The UK has been very busy with the US in terms of the Red Sea. We just saw, mm -hmm. talked about that. But uh, the, the leader of, uh, of the United Kingdom, Mr. Sunak, Prime Minister Sunak, has just gone to Ukraine and signed an agreement. Well, that agreement is, is, is important because it hasn't been, I think, emphasized enough. There is a formal arrangement between NATO and Ukraine. They have a council. NATO does not have Ukraine as a member. They cannot admit Ukraine as a member. And incidentally, Ukraine had no membership possibilities in 2014 when Russia invaded yeah. the first time and thought they would take over the country. Uh, that's what they came back to do. So that agreement includes a number of states saying that NATO cannot make agreements, but NATO and Ukraine agree that individual states can make bilateral agreements. And Prime Minister Sunak just went and did that. So it's not just an agreement. It's an agreement under an umbrella that other states could follow. And yes, indeed, Mr. Putin must be delighted about two things. One is in the Middle East, not only his attention, but also equipment has been diverted. And um, second of all, the clock is ticking on the American election and the possibility that Donald Trump will become president once again is, is uh, looking pretty good for him. And he's in position to help make that happen as he helps dismember the EU solidarity, the NATO solidarity. And 
who knows what they'll do this time in terms of the U.S. election. And if Mr. Trump comes to power, he has every reason to believe that he will have his way in Ukraine and China behind him and with him uh, will change the world order from democracies to autocracies. The takeaway here is you can't look at these things in isolation. There's a, 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 a confluence of events here that are happening, and, and world leaders are pulling the strings here. Uh, so important to have these discussions. Elliot, so important to have you on with your perspective on this. Thank you so much for this, as always. Well, I always enjoy our conversations, again, despite the subject matter. Exactly. So Thanks best, so much. Best Elliot Tepper from uh, Carleton University. Elliot, thank you so much. And that's it for this edition of the Bill Kelly Podcast. Uh, things are happening, people. Pay attention. Until next time, we'll see you later. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Rebecca Wizens and her team at Wizens Law. Now, if you or a loved one have been seriously injured, or if you want to make sure that your family is taken care of for the future with the will and powers of attorney, call Rebecca Wizens, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation.